0: This episode of The Moment is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up now for a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code MOMENT. And by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper mattresses come with free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. And right now, get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com MOMENT And use the promo code MOMENTS. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Today's guest is the great, legendary Debbie Gibson. And before we we get started, uh, I just want to play a little something for you. That's lost in your eyes. And if you were between the ages of five and 35 in the late 80s, you probably remember it. You probably just could sing the next lines. In your eyes. You know, as you'll hear in this interview, Debbie and I met each other not long after uh, that record came out and I just remember being amazed that somebody who was 16 or 17 years old could write, produce and sing a record like that, Uh, have a number one albums all over the world and seem down to earth and unaffected by everything that happened to her. And so when she was coming through New York and volunteered to do this, uh, I just thought it'd be awesome to talk to her. Uh, We had a great, great amount of fun. In fact, we had so much fun that I forgot to really do an introduction um, and we just sort of got right into it. So I wanted to do this little introduction now. So in a second, Debbie Gibson.
1: Why couldn't you just put in the knife Twist it real slow That would have made it easy to go But no, you had to be nice Baby, if you're gonna do me wrong, do it right.
0: All right. That is a totally never heard before <laughs> song by Send uh, it to copyright. Chorus. This is, this well, that's is the It is a copyright. copyright. I know.
1: Do you know I, yeah, go ahead. I always wonder that because I have so many voice recordings.
0: You got to send it, right? And
1: well. well time stamped. Well, the thing is, yes, yeah, they are time stamped. And I will hear something on the radio and go, I wrote that melody two years ago and it's documented on my iphone would that hold up in a court of law
0: (laughs) well but no they have to have had a uh, possibility of hearing it
1: right well no my my point is would would i get in trouble if i released mine later like i have this song um turn it around take that beat in turn it around and it's um uh move yourself to dance i mean it's very similar it's very much in the world but i wrote mine like two years ago and I always go...
0: And you wrote it, and it's time-stamped it cop- when you wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, but as you know, poor man's copyright, all you used to have to do was put the song in, on a cassette in an envelope we used and do send it, it to Me yourself. and my
1: mom used to do it at the kitchen table.
0: <laughs> of course you did. You know, uh, hey, uh, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. If it sounds like this is two old friends talking, there's a reason <laughs>
1: <it's>, <laughs> it sounds
0: like that. Um, I, like, in the interest of full disclosure, my guest today is... Deborah Gibson, Debbie Gibson, is probably what you um, know her as, and um, we have known each other. I mean, since you were like really 16, in your early—I guess we yeah, met at
1: that new music center. We met
0: once, yeah, the new music center. But I think we became friends when I was in my early twenties. So we've mm-hmm. known each other for a very, very long. Yeah, I remember time. you coming
1: out to my house or our house, my family's house, um, the house that pop music built, as I like to call it. Everyone has one of those in their life, and then they get rid of it. Like a hot potato. <laughs> yeah, you were like nineteen years old then. Yeah, I just I have a, a complete sense memory visual of you sitting in my, in my studio behind the like behind the console.
0: Yeah, me too. That and um and then I have this incredibly strong memory of this uh, when I I came over to London once.
1: Yep, yeah, So that yep. we
0: could uh, so I could watch you. Be Sandy in Greece. Yep. And then uh, you played me a bunch of your songs because we were working together. We were going to maybe work together. Uh-huh. And back when I was in the music business, and uh, you, I-, I was always just blown away by you lived on this like noisy street, incredible apartment, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing flat.
0: And you'd Kensington put High street. your recording studio
1: in the walk-in closet. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and so you would spend your time in London,
1: locked in a closet.
0: <laughs> yeah, just with in like this little closet.
1: keyboards and percussion instruments. I had a lot of percussion. I used to always love doing live percussion on my demos.
0: Yeah, this gets right into something that I have... I mean, you and I have talked about a lot of stuff over the years, but this is something I've, uh, that I, I sometimes feel like because you made pop music and you were a teenager when you made pop music, that people don't understand. And I just wonder how this feels f- for you. Or if you... They don't think of you sometimes as like an artist. Uh,
1: Right. Well, because you're absolutely right. It was like, put it this way. If any of my pop songs were submitted to me by different writers, people would have been like, wow, that 50-year-old man really nailed the uh, amazing pop hook or whatever. But you're right, because it was me doing it for myself. It didn't quite... Well, I, I somehow know, it's because, I no, I think it's that people
0: assumed or or the way that people understood it was that it, even though you got a lot of press for it, like you wrote, the way that we met when you were 16 was you came into this seminar in New York that was the New Music Seminar, which is this convention. Mm-hmm. And you stood up to ask a question to this all-male panel of artists and repertoire execs, right, of a yeah. people about like a woman's place as a producer. And they... At first, your record was just starting to happen?
1: Yeah, yeah. Only In My Dreams came out in 86. It really wasn't heard till 87. It took, like, I think it was 61 weeks. To Which you wrote that song, and charts. you yeah.
0: co-produced that one?
1: I didn't produce it. That one you didn't produce. Didn't produce. Mm-mm.
0: But you produced, your sa- on your second album, you produced, yeah. meaning you...
1: And I was there. You know, Fred Czar, who produced that record... Um, who I don't even know if he was credited for it, but did like that amazing string intro to Papa Don't Preach. He was just that he was this guy in Brooklyn in his studio. In fact, his vocal booth was a laundry room, and the well, <laughs> oh, that's where you learned the whole would, closet he, thing he, from. Exactly, I was just comfortable singing in a closet, and he would he would pull this sheet across the washer dryer, and that's where I cut all the vocals to all my hits. But my point is, Fred and I really always collaborated, and and whether I was called a producer or he was called a producer, he was really the person on that album who um, took my demos and really sharpened them up. Like if I played you the "Only in My Dreams" demo, you'd realize it had every, th- it had a lot of the elements you could hear. It had like na 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 na, all these keyboard arrangements were in my original demo. Yeah, he fine tuned them. He came up with that. Uh ah, uh, intro, which was a hook yeah, in and of a itself. a real hook, for sure. Yeah, and then in the stuff that I produced, um, he helped me with the keyboard programming. And so, I mean, it was all very collaborative in that sense. And right. And then it was like, oh, who gets credit for this one? <laughs> but
0: I, No, but I, I, you know, I wonder for you, like the comparison was immediately for some reason, instead of to Carol King, who was a piano playing, songwriting mm-hmm. singer who made right. her records,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the comparison was to Tiffany who I know is a good friend of yours now, yep. but who was singing a, a hit song from the 50s uh, that was a remake, and mm-hmm. then songs people wrote for her and produced, and she was a, a just a, vo- a voice and an, right. and an entertainer. Right. And when I first met you and I saw you stand up in this room of men and and say, look, I just wrote, produced, uh, and sang my own, my own record, mm-hmm. and then you said your name in the record was just starting to happen and people started clapping for you, I remember thinking that you were going to cut a path through the business as somebody who was not just an artist, but like who was going to be this creative force. And I, I, you know, somewhere along the way, you became this huge pop star. And it, I, I know you always thought of yourself as a songwriter, but you became like this entertainer, right? right? I know.
1: It's really strange because my life's taken and, and, you know, at my age now, it's, I don't think anybody at at any point in their life, looks back and goes, "Oh, my life went exactly how I thought it was going to go." For sure. Um, I mean, I don't know what you thought you'd be doing. You thought maybe you thought you'd be running a label right now. I mean, I don't know what you you know. Um, but for me, oh yeah,
0: I would have bet that I'd be running a record company right. when, I, when we when I was twenty five for sure. Well, it's yeah. funny
1: because I feel like I'm just embarking on some chapter that I planned on embarking on like twenty years ago, and part of that was because I got. I don't want to say sidetracked by theater. Theater was a first passion of mine when I was a kid. It was my first love. I wanted to... It, my I I, <laughs> I showed my my boyfriend the updated Annie movie recently. And I just was like... I was like... Instead treated, we get tricked. Like belting the notes. I was like, you don't understand how ingrained this is in me. Like, I think I still want to be Annie. Like, I yes. just... You know, so when I got to do Les Mis on Broadway... And then Grease came calling, and then Funny Girl came calling, and then Gypsy came in, Beauty and the Beast came calling. I was like, I couldn't say no to any of those roles that the kid in me always wanted to do. And I pretty much did them all. I did 17 musicals in 17 years. But when you're doing that, you can't really, for two reasons, you can't really have a pop career First of all, I think the public gets completely confused. It's changed a lot now. I mean, you've had Usher on Broadway in Chicago and Brandy's doing it right now. And But at the time... But,
0: yeah, those artists really solidified who they were in a way that right. you, were too, you were too young to. Right. Uh, maybe, right? Maybe,
1: maybe so. I mean, uh, because yeah. Because your
0: image, I mean... I was a teen te- star,
1: then I was a Broadway star. Like, right, I hadn't. I hadn't become like some adult pop.
0: Yeah, you hadn't made the grown-up record until many... You didn't make the grown-up record until, like, 1994.
1: Right. And so... And also, when you're doing eight shows a week, you just don't have time to really do anything else. It's like you can throw a record out there, but you can't go promote it properly or anything. And I was throwing records out there. (laughs) And, you know, because I had to. I just had to, but... What does that mean? um, You know, that the songs were good. They weren't great. I don't think... I'm not talking about the album we made together, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about. But I, I felt like oh, these songs are just burning a hole in my pocket and I got to get them out. And, and they weren't gr- groundbreaking. I remember Ahmed Erdogan saying to me, he goes, darling, <laughs> you can write a great hook. Like you're always going to be a really competent songwriter. And it's funny, this was the song that, that he brought up. He said, when Cheryl Crow c- came out and said, when the sun comes up over Santa Monica Boulevard, that made her a star. He said, you just have to be, and then I submitted a song to him that went, um, I guess he, uh, I guess he likes me in blue. Those tears, they make him feel like a man. And I submitted it for Anita Baker because it was very bluesy. And he called, this was after I left the label, he had called yeah. and said that is what you need to be doing that line i guess he likes me in blue that's special he was really trying to encourage me to be more special and more specific with my lyrics and create better pictures
0: but yeah what do you think so you're you're 16 17 years old when you wrote these gigantic hit records i mean how many Mm -hmm. albums did your first album sell
1: 4 million?
0: Yeah, and the second, yep. and what about the second album?
1: Um, oh, no, I think the first one was 3 million, the second one was 4 million. Right. Then the big, you know, half a million flop came. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now nobody sells no, I mean, half a million. Would, who would kill to sell a half a million records right now? And right. even at the time, I was like, God, half a million people are listening to my music. I mean, I didn't think of but how. What happens
0: to you when, you know, I watched, uh the way people react to Taylor Swift now, and obviously the world is different, and mm-hmm. Taylor sells out um arenas and mm-hmm. she has I, to me has had the benefit of watching people make a lot of mis- like a lot of the mistakes that you and right, other people right. made maybe
1: and they have so and social media is just such a platform
0: yeah the world and the way she's able to connect is yes. is different but what did it feel like to you you know we've talked about it, and you've talked um about this before that when you wrote lost in your eyes you would never like really even kissed anybody
1: Right, I mean, that was like puppy love. Um, well, like Foolish Beat, for instance, I can never love again. Right, I had never loved Anybody. to begin with. <laughs> right. Um, but I had sisters in my house who did,
0: so. Yeah, but I'm more saying like you you wrote these songs that had this, yeah, it was like an idealized version of romantic love. Right. But they were a, a unique expression, a very particular point of view that you had. What do you think knocked that that vision for that next couple of records off course? Like, I'm wondering, were you thinking about what people were saying about you? Were you?
1: That's such a great question. Well, the Anything Is Possible album, which had um, it had like eight upbeats and eight ballads, it just see. I always um, loved variety, like we were talking about before. I've loved country. I listen to a lot of urban. People might not expect like there's stuff i have that's you know it could go to rihanna could go uh, you know it's all i listen to um and i think that was my expression of variety i mean like i worked with lamont dozier on a few songs i had it must have been my boy you know I had a motown thing and yeah. i had but people at that time we we weren't downloading you know, single tracks. So people want, I think people wanted something more cohesive and it just wasn't. But what did
0: you want? Like, did you at that time know just, what you wanted to do?
1: Well, see, at the time, I just, I was thinking like the public thinks now. I was thinking, this is a good song in production it's on its own. So is this. So is that. They just didn't connect to each other. And at the time I think you needed to make an you mean, album You don't with they, you think
0: as, like your first two records somehow were unified and then you think on um, right. the third They were and dance fourth.
1: and ballads but they all had that synth element. It was yes. Well, they all had
0: a lyrical they I think they had a, like a consistency in the, like what you were talking about right, this it perspective was puppy love. this like girl's perspective right. of what's possible. Well, here's what's,
1: Here's what's interesting though. So that was like right, that was like the puppy love phase. Then let's think of how old I was. I was 20 I think I was twenty nineteen. Wait, I was like twenty twenty one. What twenty twenty one year old girl knows who they are and what they want? Right. So, like, I think that that was my tr- call it a transition album. And see, because I grew up with artists like Billy Joel, who's one of my all time favorites, I remembered that he had a big hit album and then a not so big hit album and then a big hit album and then oh, this is his you know self serving son- whatever album, self indulgent. You know, every like every songwriter has those albums <laughs> that are like this makes me happy. Nobody else is going to like it, but it makes me happy. I think that was that album. And what happened after that was, I actually did know who I was. I was getting back to writing Stuff that was more melodic. It's funny, you're bringing up all these memories of the songs that were, like, I had this song, like, Show me the way that I can find you. I am the one need I remind you. I am the keeper of all your dreams. It's like ringing a bell because you probably heard a demo of it. Yeah, and I know And in that fact, song. Phil Ramone produced it. And it was more Wilson Phillips, like, and that's what was happening then. So it was still that kind of white bread melodic pop music. But it was also in its own mode. It was very... Um, I'm trying to think of like something else so I can you, to. But, at t- but were- Atlantic didn't want me to do that. So this is where I think things went really awry. Yeah, explain that. <laughs> so Because I
0: want to know what it felt like. I guess what I'm interested in is what this felt like to you as you were going through it. Be- this is
1: like... First of all, I haven't eaten in hours, so you might get me to cry like Oprah right now. So I was doing these songs that were really... Kind of like the Belinda Carlisle, Wilson Phillips, that real feel good pop, like stacked vocals. It was really what I was doing before, but who I, but age appropriate for who I was then. Atlantic. Let me go backwards one second. Yeah. Since, since we have, since we have a while, we have all the um, time
0: that uh, we need to yeah. go
1: back to the first two albums. Um, Larry Asgar, Anthony Sanfilippo, and Bruce Carbone in the back office of the dance department were who really got my career going with only in my dreams they took the chance um once the single started to break Doug Morris finally I'd been up there to that label 10 times at least finally introduced himself to me who was the
0: head of Atlantic then. yes
1: I met Ahmed Erdogan Ahmed who founded, founded Atlantic with Records. his brother Neswe and um and then they got started getting really excited about me and my career but they were really into the fact that I was instinctual about my own music, so I would walk into their office with a lunch bag, brown paper bag, full of separate cassettes with all the rough mixes of all my demos, and I would dump it on their desk and go, "Here's my album," and they would go, "Okay." Um, I huh, never, I really? never had an A and R person. You mean on
0: the first two for the, on first- the first
1: two albums? See, this is so never had an A and R person. They were like. You're doing some magical thing connecting with young girls. Keep doing it.
0: Out in your garage in Out Long in your, Island. Right. It's so, like your own world, your own yes, thing. Yes, so
1: do it. Then do it again. Then they all started wanting to craft what was and strategize what was going to happen next. And I'm not strategic at all. I'm pure instinct. I'm I'm really bad at being strategic, which is why I am not Madonna and I always I always have look, looked at that and I've gone, I feel like I could have been Madonna and released something really respectable that sold well every three years. That just seems exhausting to me. It really does. You mean it just the plotting
0: seems, and calculating yes, and Yes,
1: yes. And the working with the hot new this and wearing the hot new that. And it just, my life just has to flow. It has to flow. And whether that means I have a hit once every 20 years, which is kind of what's happening at this point, um, or if it was once every two years, fine, but it has to flow.
0: When when you say this now, with like the perspective of time, mm-hmm. you have an understanding of it. That's uh-huh. like um, a grown-up's understanding right, right. of it. But when you were, when you were in it, like, what did those pressures feel like? Because I mean, I remember you know talking to you at certain points, and I, I would always, what it always seemed to me like is you were happiest when you were just you love entertaining and performing but you were happiest when you could just be at your piano in the middle of the night
1: yeah you see i was never really good and and then i'll go into what happened on that next album yeah. which is where i left the, la- the label which to this day my my boyfriend goes why he goes so much of why i'm with you is because you left that label but because it symbolized the fact that i wouldn't be controlled and would not Fall into that whole strategic. That
0: ultimately just decided you were going to be your own person.
1: Yeah, ultimately I had to be, you know, had to be me. But um, so going back to what you were saying, I I look at Katy Perry now. I look at Taylor Swift now. I go, if they don't have Xanax in their purse and they are this poised and relaxed at all times, my hats off to them because. I was never. I'm a naturally like even now like I'm I'm a naturally like overadrenalized, nervous, anxious person, and sometimes I can channel it really well. Sometimes it makes my voice edgy. It makes me not sleep. It makes. I've never had one of those picture perfect voices that was. I've always had this little like threadiness to the vibrato, and that's my adrenaline. That's my nerves. Um, and honestly, like, my nervous system couldn't really take everything. Like, I, uh, yeah, I was, wanted yeah. to be this thing, but like, and I go through this even now in my life because I've really restructured my life. If It's like, I just want to rock and roll all the time, but my body lets me know that it can't handle it. It really can't. And like, even eight shows a week on Broadway, it, it's easier because it's routine so i can handle that and it's not like the audience isn't on their feet screaming you don't get as charged up so when i'm getting like charged up all the time i get worn out fast is
0: the anxiety like the the physical manifestations of anxiety so like you f- the anxiety makes the adrenaline flow your stomach uh your voice or is it the thoughts that like is it because i you it's once like told me that thoughts. you're able to when you perform you once told me you're able to like Do an exercise where you leave the thought... You leave the anxious thoughts on the side of the stage. Yeah, it was like
1: the only place the anxiety would go away, I think because my energy level was meeting that anxiety level. Like, I was in a heightened state, but now what I've learned to do on stage, which is so fun... And in fact, just last week, I did this private event in Virginia. It was like a charity thing for um, a girls' club, like underprivileged girls. And I did this event, and I was doing all the fun, upbeat stuff... And then I took it down and, you know, did a little foolish beat at the piano with a new, I did a little intro, a new intro that I wrote to it. Um, It was a foolish beat of my heart. We were together, now we are apart. And now I'm lost without you. I lost me without you. And when you get that intimate, I can now get that intimate on stage and I can leave the space in the music. And... It draws people in, and I could never do that I had to play things like faster than they were on the record back then now I
0: I mean I wonder I if that's why or... you know uh your image back then was so like
1: cheerleader yeah, pep rally I was hosting a pep rally right instead <laughs> of cool like in even yeah. though you
0: had done this thing, and I know then you like you know tried as a young person to sort of like become cool because that's what people like wanted
1: right uh, i've given that up <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, but, well no which now makes you cool
1: i know it's but, funny there's like a 10 year period like when you're like 10 years into your career there's you're not cool you're just not you're just on the cusp of like oh she's over and then you get like another five years in and you start to become cool again again it's so the perspective is interesting
0: but when so when you were uh young really young and you had these two records that were that huge were you able to talk to anybody about what you were feeling like were you able to talk about
1: the anxiety being uncomfortable
0: stuff? yeah like just what you yeah how I mean, my, how it felt to be you in that spot
1: well See again, it's so interesting i o- I always go to Taylor Swift. I go, I didn't have a bunch of girlfriends who were also in the business, and I didn't host parties for them in Manhattan, and we didn't communicate on Twitter. I mean, so I was kind of alone on a tour bus with my dancers and my sister and my mom, and so I, I really because didn't know many... manager. yes, I, you know who just sprung to mind Matt goss from from Bros, um, who's now a headliner in Vegas. I remember meeting him, and he was one of the first people I felt like. Oh my god, he's like he's a very sensitive soul, which is what makes him an artist, but he was in the middle of mania all the time and and you know, he even when he toured America had bodyguards around him cuz he just didn't know he was so used to being so approached in in London and and stalked in London, you know, that So
0: you could relate to him.
1: I could relate to him for sure. Um but no there were and my mom was really my confidant in all of that. I mean, she was the one who this is going to and this might make me cry, but really like when the applause died down and when the lights went out and when I was home tucked away in my bedroom, I could just look at her and go I-, I don't feel like I'm here, like I'm that's what people who go through anxiety feel. You go I feel like I'm invisible and I feel like I'm it's out of body. Yeah. But what I've started to learn and embrace is that again, artists are out of their body all the time. It's like how we write. Well, you know, when you're writing, you're not writing, you're channeling. And if you're pres- if you're too present and you think, hey, I'm really controlling this, what's happening, it's probably going to come out crappy. Yeah, so. Well, so when it's
0: at its best is when you're, it's, uh,
1: you feel a little it woo-woo. feels like
0: it's, you know, when it yeah. feels like it's happening. Uh, you've done all this work to put yourself in a spot where you can uh, let that happen in a right, way. Right, right. You know, you, but... Yeah, of course. Uh, so I
1: think the anxiety, what I learned is I think anxiety, like for now, like I, even now, like I said, like I'm a little shaky, I'm a little hungry. There was a time I'd be scared of that feeling and I would try to bring myself to a place that I really wasn't. You mean so, you would try to force it? Yeah, I would try to force, like, uh, uh, let me let me be stable now and be, you know, drop into my body. Now I'm just like, wee, you know what? I'm a little shaky. I'm like, it's okay. And, and, um, also you're
0: safe here. I know it's a safe place. This is a really safe spot. But
1: just going back to, um, so, you know, when I did the fourth album, uh, I presented all these songs that I really feel again. I feel like Wilson Phillips was happening like right then. And they were on SBK, my father. Also, made, yeah, my label. dad worked
0: on the, uh, made those records. With right. Them. Yeah. And it was
1: so to me on par with, I think it was how I was feeling musically then. And I know that people would have wanted to hear that sound and those melodies from me then. Um, the, the label was like, "All right, we need to put you in a little black dress. We need to put you in some heels. We want you to work with Prince. We want you to write with Narda. We want you to write with." They brought up every R and B writer, and I was like, "I am a white girl from Long Island. Like I, we Who are Who loves not Billy Joel, gonna, we, even though right, you like that music?
0: Also, right?
1: I liked it, but I, I couldn't deliver that at that time. And, and I was why couldn't lady. you
0: make the um."
1: I was oh, such a late argument. bloomer too. Like what I you, wasn't image wise. I was not ready to present that at all. You, you mean
0: know? you were a late bloomer? You're saying sexually, like being yeah. comfortable with yourself sexually? At,
1: absolutely. I mean, I was playing Sandy at 23. At 2021, they were wanting me to do, you know, Sandy of You're the One That I Want, and see, and let that be my entire image. And again, the whole idea of image. I was never, I never had stylists. I mean, I hosted the American Music Awards and I picked out my own clothes and I put them with high top boots and sneakers and kind of like when Avril Lavigne came out. I equated to that kind of like spirited, young, um Yeah, but your you instincts, what, what, I,
0: how did they knock you off of what you knew was right for yourself when like I think back to, in particular, you know, Writing your second album because you'd had success, so you dealt with the pressure. You wrote "Lost in Your Eyes" mm-hmm. when you wrote that song, because people always ask me about this, and I'm always interested in moments of creation mm-hmm. of, of things that are really special mm-hmm. and that lack, last. You know, so when you wrote that song, did did you have that chorus for a long time? Did you write? Did it take a? How did that?
1: That happen? one came. Pouring out as if, and see, to me, I don't want to say the best things are always written this way because now I write very differently and I do believe that a chorus could drop in and a verse could drop in four years later um, and you have to just listen for it. But back then, I think, you know what? You just made me realize this. I think because of my limited life experience, like it was going to be what it was going to be in the five minutes it poured out of me. (sighs) Like there wasn't really any other lightning bolts that were going to hit me because, you know, it was simple, my experiences were simple, and I just I remember we had a, a Kimball upright brown piano, and it was in the family room, little studio room, and I just remember walking in from school, sitting at the piano, and I remember my fingers going, plink, 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 plink. And it was just like it was already written. I really was. It was like I was singing a song that was already written. Wow. And the way Wait. I describe that to people, because I always say, like, if you have a song that you love— and it goes through your head repetitively, and you hear the whole production in your head as you hear it on the radio. That's just what I. That's how I write. That's what I hear. Except I go, oh, I'm hearing something that's not been written yet. So it's my job to write it down.
0: And that was even the case then. Now, did you mm-hmm. write that after the first one had come out already, or, or I know the first one was finished, but were you already um, were you already like a, a famous person?
1: I think I. I think I was like. Let me put it this way. I was famous enough to. Be on the jukebox at the East Bay Diner where my grandma used to take us to eat not famous enough though that we hadn't moved out of that house because there came a point where we had to leave that house because it was like people were driving by and blasting music and yelling oh yeah Debbie I, we were like three well, houses Long from Long Island felt like
0: they owned I mean we did on Long Island feel like we owned you in a way. <laughs> everybody felt like you were this uh, you know this kid like the rest of us who found uh, right. a way to do this and thing w- you
1: know with with three sisters and and living three houses from the football field it was very easy to find us no, it was
0: you d snyder and billy I right mean, billy and before and then you and d mine. And and I, yeah mine I know, too i and, love and oh
1: right and, and d Dee d wrote we're not going to take it um he said he wrote i think it was the chorus dropped in and then like four years later the verses drop in and do you know i sat at the piano not too long ago like last year and um at my boyfriend Rutledge's request, because he knows Dee, so he's friends with him and works with him. And he said, you know what, Deb, try a, an acoustic version right now at the piano if we're not going to take it. And I was like, you know what, I've got to pull up the lyrics. It's like we've not ever really heard those. It's like, we have the right to choose it uh, yeah there ain't no way we'll lose it like the lyrics to me are so time and then just you know when are not gonna take it and so Rutledge keeps getting on his case about doing an acoustic version of it
0: you know what time it is it's stamps.com time these days you can get practically everything on demand like my podcast listen whenever you want when it's convenient for you So why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. So you can get postage whenever you need it, 24-7. Stamps.com is designed for the small business person Who And and you know what? Small business is so limiting. So small business person, I mean, who's to say you're a small business person? What's a small business and what's a big business? Are you a podcaster who has, like, packages to send to your listeners? Are you a guitar player doing a Kickstarter campaign? Uh, Are you a novelist sitting at home? Or, you know, is your business much bigger than that? Is it just about to scale huge? And if you could just find another hour or two to do your business at your home or your office, instead of having to get in the car, go to the post office and deal with those lines... Stamps.com is there to give you those extra hours. Right now, use my promo code MOMENT for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in MOMENT. That's stamps.com. Enter MOMENT. But let's go back to, so you write, because you write... um Lost in there.
1: And I knew. Lost I knew, in your eyes. I yeah, this is what a, I want to know. I knew, I knew it was magical. I mean, I guess I didn't think like, this is a hit. I knew it was magical and I started performing it on my Out of the Blue tour.
0: Did you call like your mom in and say, I just wrote, like, what would you do? I, I called I,
1: her in all the time. I mean, like. From oh, whether my they were first, good or they
0: were bad, you Oh, did? yeah.
1: I was always excited. Um, and usually, usually I demoed them, right? Away. I was demoing like a song a day. With the task, well, first, at first, it was a Tascam four-track, and then it was an Akai twelve-track, with, J, with J, which Jason might appreciate hearing about. And no,
0: Jason's my producer and uh, engineer who's 23 years old. And but you're going
1: to have to he Google doesn't know what a Kai 12 track is.
0: He, he's only known how to digitally record. Like to him, uh, shitty recording is if you have to do it on GarageBand. Exactly. Which for us would have been a oh uh, seem like science fiction of a level oh that God. you can't even imagine. Well, You
1: know what? I, I just was talking to someone on radio the other day. They said, oh, we remember getting an ID from you. I said, I used to splice that tape in the garage. You got to
0: explain what an ID is. People okay. don't know what an ID is. So it'd be
1: like... C100's got the music I thought was only in my dreams. Hi, I'm Debbie Gibson. You're listening to W uh, or to C100 or whatever. And so, you know, I would like throw the DJ's names in, but I would do them at home. Like I'd have my TV tracks, which are the backing tracks, and I would recut the lead vocal. On the Akai 12 track and I'd plug in the DJ names and I'd splice it into the record. So like I had reel-to-reel tape and I learned how to go back and forth with the tape and splice it and splice the personalized portion into the song. (laughs) Right.
0: And you were like able to...
1: Oh my God.
0: I mean, you were able to do all this stuff and I, I... In a way, like you were really a producer, like you really did make your records. You knew how to record your own demos. You knew how yeah. to mix your own demos. Right, like if someone could left me alone to do
1: it, I could do it again. Would you it could have program been the drums. A- yeah, yeah. I'm
0: saying, right? You could program the drums. Couldn't play, the play piano. guitar
1: for anything. Do you know Najee used to come do saxophone on my demos in my garage studio? Oh, he became in Long a huge Island? star. No, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I have him on. On demos i don 't know somebody who I was working with said, "Oh, i've got this great saxophonist, and it was Najee. <laughs>
0: when so you uh you you make that you, you write that song, and i I guess the the question I have is when you finish it, you said you knew it was a magical thing mm-hmm. and you knew you would learn to trust that feeling, I imagine because then that did become like um a number one record like all around the world, and yeah, you right? know,
1: and again, to this day when I play it at our home. I play songs in our home in the living room. It's like they just ring out, you know, like they they're just it, you feel you yeah, you can feel magic. And you why can just feel magic. You, well so
0: what do you think when you why do you think you weren't able to and I think it connects and I this is what I want to ask you about what it all felt like for you to be that person who had this incredible success, this incredible validation, right? Most people walk around and they just want somebody to notice or see mm-hmm. that what they that they were right about right, what right. they thought, right? right. What do you think it was that didn't allow you when you knew that you'd written this fourth album that they wouldn't put out to say, like, um no, no, I'm telling you. I did. This is great.
1: I did. And so here's how it so went Yeah, down. what happened? Why couldn't so you win I that did, argument? I did, I did, I did. Well, first of all, they were like, well, the last one didn't really sell. And I was like, I know, and it was all over the pl- Like, I knew. I was like, that was variety, and that was me finding my way, and this is where I am now, and I know it's right. And they were like, no, no, no. they See, here's the thing. I was dealing with men...
0: <laughs> no, yeah, this, uh, I want to know this.
1: And they were very into the sexual image thing, and they really felt like you're 21 now, you have to grow up. And um, they, I'll never forget this. This is one they of, talk to you I like pimp,
0: like a pimp in a movie, like
1: kind of. I ugh. mean, I don't, I can't even. Now, I want to say, I want to say first of all, I don't want to sound ungrateful and disrespectful to Doug Morris and Amit Erdogan. I mean, they helped put me on the map. You know,
0: but they were men of a different generation right, than you, and they but, were talking to you. You were a product, right? At this moment, You're, right? Yes. At this
1: moment, I definitely became a product. My mom was in the room with me uh, always, um, as my manager. Oh, you, you
0: never felt like they were making it. Adv- I understand. No, you never no, felt no. like they were oh, in no, a product. No, 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 I, get I wasn't that, even saying of course, that. but no, yes. this
1: next story I'm going to tell, I don't think I've ever told good, and it's one of my favorites. Um, so they said to me, Look. Will you just try to work with somebody who's a little more hip and hot and urban and whatever? So they came up with Sterkin and Rogers, you know, and they had done Soldier of Love with Donnie. And I was like, I, you know what? I could get into that because I think they're really amazing. And again, like I had pretty much written all my hits solo. So again, I'm kind of like, why do they need me to collaborate now? But OK, so I used to flip hats and be like, I know what I want. I know who I am. But there's like the theater girl in me that goes, but I'm also versatile. Mm. And so maybe I can be, do things my way, their way, my way, their way, which I'll never do again because I learned you can't do that. No, People smell it and know it's not authentic and that's what happens. So I went in the studio with Sturkin and Rogers and we did like, did you have it in your heart to give another try before we say goodbye to love? Nice R&B song could have been sung by anyone. That's the point. They were not unique to me. They were good songs, really good songs. Um, So we did a song, and then we did the song Losing Myself Over You, which I performed last year in Chile, and you can YouTube it. And literally... My boyfriend was like, that's the first time you ever really performed that song. And I'm like, you know what? You are correct. Why? Because at 43 years old, I finally understood that song and I could finally embody that song. So the 21-year-old writer in me could write this really mature, advanced song. Again, at 21, I didn't know what it meant to lose yourself over somebody. Um, Now I do. And so I delivered it with like a raw abandon which it didn't have back then. And it's not its not that it's sexual. So they tried to make it more sexual. The video I did like a strip tease and I justify it by like, oh, it's like playing Gypsy Rose Lee and I can do that. And I could barely walk in heels, let alone... So what did that feel like for you? It felt like I was playing a role. That's the best way I can put it. So it felt like I was playing a role and delivering something, not being, not just being. And so... So this this is where it gets really good. So yeah. when they said to me, we we want you to write a song, like the kind of song that would shock your mama. So I go back with Sturgeon oh, and And we write, shock your mama, shock, shock your yeah. mama, baby. Then I bring it back in, and this is my favorite story ever. Doug and Ahmed on the couch. I always say it was like the two Muppets up in the,
0: yeah, up the, in the, the, balcony. the little
1: balcony, okay? And they had their arms around each other. They go... Doug, Doug, um, remember the, you know those dirty, you know those limericks that we like to sing? We want you to put something in there like this. So you're going, um, shock your mama, shock, shock your mama. I wish all the girls were like diamonds and rubies, cause I'd be a jeweler and polish there. And right before you're gonna say the dirty word, you go back into the chorus. And I'm like going, I'm sitting there going, how do I translate what they just said first yeah. of all into pop music? Second of all, did that really just happen? And these they guys were going to say boobies.
0: They were 60-year-old men. Right, and
1: they were going to say boobies. And so I brought it back to Sturkin and Rogers and so that's when Evan Rogers said, and by the way like they're like, re- you know, responsible for Rihanna's career at this point. They're amazing. And Evan goes, "If anyone thinks I'm moving too fast, tell the whole world they can kiss my shock your mama so that's how we inter- so I kept feeling like I was interpreting and strategizing and trying to please them and trying to be me somehow within the context of and would of you remember
0: it. like the girls who were your audience like how were you thinking right. about
1: right I mean they were like pissed those girls they were like what happened to you where'd you go why are you wearing that outfit I mean you just it It really did kind of go against everything I and again I just I was at a point where I was like I could either just, you know, I I went, I flipped a switch and went. Let me just try. Let me try. Maybe there, you know, I can be versatile and I'll try to, you know, see what.
0: What do you think made you such and like so, p- want to be such a people pleaser?
1: Well, that's the thing. I've always, I'm still in therapy over being a people pleaser. I think I'm less of one now, but I've always, you know, it's like there's a line in Chicago about like. Right. Because we got enough love in our childhood. It's like every showbiz person, like you said, needs validation and wants to be liked. And I I always took pride in the fact, like I said, I'll use the word again, that I was versatile. So I felt like, and again, in theater um, and in acting, you know, you can, you pull, I thought, I thought I was pulling from a different side of myself as opposed to this. No, this just isn't really me. So After that, I would leave those meetings and cry. And I'd say to my mom, I just don't, I don't know what to do. I don't. And it was no surprise to me when the album wasn't a hit. Um, And after that, I, after that experience, I said, I have to leave. I had like three or four albums left with a million or two dollar advances on every album. So I was a 21 year old kid going, yeah, I could give up $8 million right now. Because I can't do this again. I couldn't go through it again. So you got
0: to a place where you knew. Yeah. And I see you're like emotional about it now. Are you emotional because you're proud of yourself for doing that? Well, you
1: know what? I'm glad. If that was the only way I could learn that lesson, I'm glad. And I've had experiences like that since. Because also when when you start so young and back at that time, you'd endorse anything. Oh, Diet Pepsi wants to do a commercial. Great. Doesn't matter that, you know, that soda's killing people. Now... I'm not going to promote a soda that's killing people. Now I know who I am. Now I'm not going to stand behind everything. But back then you were a machine. You were a press. Like you like it's, you were a product. You were a press whore. <laughs> and I've since even done like, you know, um, shows where like they stage something that's supposed to be your house. And I'm at a point where I'm like, if anything is remotely dishonest, I can't do it. But there was this crossover period, like over the last ten years, where I would do something that the old me would have done, and realized I'm not that person anymore. And you
0: stop? No, yeah. I mean I. I've heard, listen. Uh, you've talked about a lot of this stuff about you know posing for Playboy and all this stuff on with Howard. Mm-hmm. We, we don't even have to talk about it. But I, the only to me, I mean, I remember when you when you did that, and uh, and I understand the part of it that felt like well, I can start to own who I am. Mm -hmm. But I I also have to wonder how much of it was about, like, I'm not going to let people put me in this box of being this unsexual, Sandy, before that song. Right. I
1: mean, you know what was weird about that? They started calling me when I was, like, 18. Which it's like, she's turned 18. You know, play, like, they must have people on speed dial. When they turn 18, you get a call. And... I was never, I never felt like it was anything I wanted to do, needed to do. It didn't feel organic. After I did, there were certain theater roles I did. I did Chicago. I did Cabaret. Yeah. Cabaret was so raw and sexual. And it literally felt like, oh my God, I, I bared more of myself in Cabaret than I did in those pictures. Yeah, it, That's how I felt. So at that point I went, oh my God, boobs and booty, that's a... Day on, you know, at South Beach. Who cares? Like in this day and age, I'm and I was 34, so it wasn't like I'm 22. I'm a woman now, sure. So I kind of felt like, eh, I'm definitely someone who's like to have experiences, like, um, which is why I did Apprentice too. I mean, I was very on the fence about it, and I remember saying to my boyfriend, like, you know what? I think I just would rather be in the situation, going, I wish I hadn't done this, than at home watching, going, God, what would it have been like to do that? I wonder,
0: um, as you're you're talking about this, and um, I'm seeing the parts that were, like, sad for you, and I wonder about, like, your... Because your mother, who was your manager, your Mm -hmm. best friend, and had to keep... And I know your mom and really like your mom and and know that, um, unlike most stage mothers, there has never been a day in her life that she was out for herself and not out for you. But the pressure on her to be all things in that way... And then you, who were as an artist, you know, you know people quickly. I'm sure you're one of these people who then can like lie to yourself about them to make it better.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: But your like sort of initial read, that's why you're such a good writer is you kind of know what people are made of.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: When you would watch your mom even having to process... I can't picture her being there with those guys and having to process like what was coming at you guys.
1: I know. Wasn't that heavy for you? It was really heavy. And one thing my mom always, always said to me was, if you don't want to do this, I pull the plug. I stand behind your decision. You don't want to make this album, I'm behind you. You want to make this album, I'm behind you. And when you
0: walked away from that money, I would say, obviously... Through your mother taking whatever the percentage of manager takes, right? That's supporting your family. Yep. I mean, you had these sisters, one of whom you still wor- still works with you and yep. helps you. Mm-hmm. You were from a young age supporting your family.
1: Yes, I was. Um, so,
0: what did that? I mean, when you add that in, does that help? Does that? Does that? Uh, sort of make, when you're when you're listening to executives say, we think you should do X, are you thinking I'm not just making these decisions for myself and what I do no. affects other people? Or? I
1: wasn't thinking like that at the time. And I still, it's so funny because I had this conversation with Richard Marks a few years ago where he said, he goes, Great songwriter. He goes, I know, amazing. He goes, I was always waiting for the day that it was over. Like, he goes, I was so like frugal with my money. I, go, I said, I, I was the opposite. I was a person who never thought the party would end and the money would you. always be, Yeah. And he was like, oh, not me. He goes, I was just like, really? I get another hit? Like, the money hasn't dried up yet? So he was really smart like that. Honestly, I always felt this is really, you're bringing up some really cool things. Um, You're saving me 200 bucks in therapy this week. Um, I always felt like it was disloyal to my art to to think about money. So, like, my mom, for a long, long, long time, like, I only just got a grip on my own finances, like, five years ago. I'm not kidding. I never, I didn't interview the business managers. I didn't want to go to business managers offices. I was like, ew money. Like I just want to, I just want to sing, dance and act. I don't want to think about the money part. And I'd be like, is there enough in there? Okay, great. That's all I need to know. Honestly, like I just felt like even when I was doing theater, I would always like block out the fact that I was making money. Like, like it was a bad thing that it was also my quote unquote job. Um, it always felt like, well, I would pay people to let me do this. So I don't even want to think about the fact that I'm getting paid for this. Well,
0: you know, I would pay people <laughs> to let me do this podcast. But luckily, I have sponsors. So <laughs> I, we are going to take uh, one second and I'm going to just talk about our sponsor. And, um, and then we'll get back to this uh, right after. Oh, I wish this existed when I was in college. Because getting a mattress then was a real hassle. This episode of The Moment is sponsored by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with showrooms and resellers and passing that savings on to you, the customer. You know, people who sleep on things, mattresses. Uh, I guess you could sleep on a hard floor. You know what? If you're an aesthetic and you just sleep on a hard floor and you like that, you're like, no, 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 no mattress for me. I'm a hard floor guy. I just, or girl, I just like to lay down on the hard floor. You know, I don't even blanket either. Why, why bother with a blanket? You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take my t-shirt, roll it up and I'll stick that under my uh, head and I don't need a mattress. If you're that person, just hit that little fast forward button, but for everybody else, With Casper, you can get an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king size. Like any great mattress, it has just the right amount of sink and just the right amount of bounce. The latex foam and memory foam join forces to give you better nights and brighter days. And Casper has a risk-free trial and return policy. You can try sleeping on a Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. The mattresses are made in America. And right now, you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash moment and using the promo code MOMENT. Terms and conditions apply. That's Casper.com slash moment. Use the promo code MOMENT. And, you know, the sponsor would have been Diet Pepsi, uh, except you told everybody that um, that soda kills people. So they canceled. Oh,
1: my God. They and completely
0: canceled uh, the deal. They're and... going to be
1: doing some big music festival, and they're not going to invite me. But, no, like it's funny because even I remember touring Asia, and there'd be like, you know, beer sponsors, and I wasn't old enough to drink. And you just kind of roll with it. And even now, that's okay. But when you stand there like – I was approached by a product. Not going to say what product yeah. last year. It was a similar thing. It was like we sport this product. I'm like, I would not eat that product. I can't pronounce the ingredients in that product. I'm so health oriented. I just can't. And then it was interesting to see who took the gig.
0: <laughs> well, after you, can.
1: after you know, and people will just stand there holding a product, smiling, and like they don't even know. What I, or care what it's what it's about.
0: I guess what I was well, that's true. I, I guess what, um, but I, uh, in fact, on on this podcast, even though there's, you know, the sponsorships for the podcast obviously aren't the same uh, economy of scale. But I like either try everything or I make yeah, sure that oh, I can good. support it or that um, like uh, a razor company sometimes is a sponsor, and I have a beard, so like I made the people in my writer's room two of them use it and I had to make sure that it, like it's a good razor
1: that's great otherwise yeah
0: I wouldn't do it um, because it feels like um, I know wrong just like somehow prostitution to do. yes yeah yeah yeah, well, almost like prostitution <laughs> I mean I, I mean nobody's asking me to say dirty li- dirty limericks as they're sitting on a couch oh my so god I'll quite. never
1: forget never that image
0: uh, oh there's definitely a number I mean like someone could pay me a number to whisper dirty limericks to them there is a number at this point. Well,
1: again, here's what's funny. So like what I was saying before about business and money and I used to never consider it in the equation at all. And again, you kind of go, right, you can't, right, you can't be quote unquote bought to do certain things. But yes, you have to look at your life and your, I remember like, I remember seeing something on Lisa Renna, who I love and like she went, she did a Depends commercial and she was like, I have to feed my family. And they paid her some obscene amount of money. And she was like, I tried the product. You know what? I'm helping someone somewhere. Um, I might need this one day. Um, But she has a family to feed. So she made her decision based on all the factors, which I understand And you
0: always just made, uh, I mean, so the album we made
1: together. I had the the luxury of making purely artistic decisions for a very long time.
0: Well, yeah, you made um, a fortune when you were a young person. Right. And you sold nine million albums, and you wrote all the songs, and sixteen so
1: million albums, six total. but nine
0: in the beginning, yeah, like those yeah, first, and yeah. So sixteen million albums, yep. and you wrote the majority of those songs, right? And so, I mean, I just know record business economics. You made an, an incredible amount yeah, of yeah, money yeah. that obviously allowed you and your family to live for a very long time, right? Right. And I'm sure there's still some income from those songs, mm-hmm. even though the oh, yeah, music business yeah. has uh, changed.
1: But yeah, no, you can still count on those. You can still checks. count on checks coming for the
0: songs that you <laughs> yeah, wrote when yeah. when when you were young. But um, you know the 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 name of the album that you made with me, that we made together that I helped you make. I mean, you made the record was called "Think with Your Heart,"
1: uh-huh.
0: and um, it does seem like that's really what your guiding force was—that mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> you led with your heart, pretty much, right through your whole career
1: yes and and now i probably don't even just lead with my heart i lead with my i don't know if you want to call it your soul or your whole being you know what i mean and it's it's even it's deeper now but yeah i mean I, back
0: then i always felt you you held something that as you were leading with your heart though and as you were singing about romantic like this idealized version and vision of romantic love i knew a couple of your boyfriends when you were young and i i think you would always hold a little something in reserve, because of the the work in a way. <laughs> like you would talk about it to me then too.
1: Interesting, like, interesting. Well,
0: I just wonder, like, if it took you a very long time to really be able to, th- like, the thing you said about singing that song in Chile. If it took you a long time to be willing to, like, really lose. Yeah, Not just lost yeah, yourself in yeah, your eyes, but yeah. like really being willing to lose yourself. You for know, somebody.
1: I think in in some way, and even though I'm not married to my boyfriend now, we're together seven years. Yeah, so I was going to say a, why. Aren't, it's yeah, a but, because we're.
0: Right. Why you know, do it?
1: This, this is my ring. He had this ring made it's for beautiful. me. And I wear it on my first finger, and it's rock and roll, and it's got all kinds of meaning built into it. And I don't it's see a beautiful the beautiful emerald, right? Yeah. Um, no, it's um, what is it? Peridot, which is my birthstone. But, like, I don't see the reason why everyone's got to wear a certain kind of ring and on their left hand. And da, 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 I'm just not of that. Like, I mm-hmm. think people have their own relationships. And But my point is, I. Somewhere in the back of my mind knew that every one of those guys I dated growing up wasn't the one that I was going to invest my whole life in or 10 years in or I just knew like I was kind of like, this is amazing, but it has an expiration date. So, right. So how much am I willing to, you know, sacrifice things in my career for this? Not so much. I mean, I didn't even live with anybody till Rutledge. So I was a very late bloomer. I didn't live with anyone till I was like 38 years old so really yeah i mean i had like you know boyfriends come stay with me bring in a duffel bag and then never leave (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then when they were moving out there were like eight duffel bags and i'm like how'd all your stuff get in here um that actually happened but you know um no i never really made that even that commitment till then because i was like even now i go god if we ever break up like I can't just run out with a bunch of suitcases. Like, I have to move Liberace's piano. That's like, (laughs) Uh. you know, it's a commitment to put my piano in a space with a man. (laughs) What do you mean
0: Liberace's piano? I have
1: one of his all-glass and mirrored pianos. How did you get it? Myron Martin, who was um, my artist rep at Baldwin Pianos, was Liberace's artist rep, and got that piano in the auction, like, when he passed. And then... I used to go visit his apartment on the Upper West Side, Myron's, and say, oh, my God, can I just come over and visit the piano and play it? And And Liberace was the first live show I ever saw at Westbury Music Fair. And so when Myron was ready to part with the piano, I was his first call, and I bought it right from him. And now it lives in Las Vegas, which is so pr- – it's his Jonathan Livingston Siegel piano. It's got – That's great. Siegel's etched in it and caricatures of Liberace in it.
0: Do you write songs on that piano? I do.
1: It's got magic to it. It's like the where it's sitting in the house. And we have a very simple, sparse, not diva-like house. It's very homey. And where right. the piano is— and, and
0: Rutledge is a, a I just want to say, like, uh, after a lifetime of you supporting people, like, um, you don't have to support—
1: no, 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 no. Rutledge, I don't have to support. He's not Mr. Gibson. No, as he, I put it. <laughs> yeah,
0: he's a successful doctor and person, and yes. um, he's his own man with a true point of view. And um, you know, somebody. I, I, I imagine that you can actually find yourself leaning on sometimes.
1: Oh yeah, and somebody who challenges me. He just doesn't like you know. He's he's my biggest fan, but he's not my he's not a cheerleader. You know, he's not just gonna. Oh my God, that's great to everything I do. Um, or every decision I make, I look at my decisions way differently now. I look at how I write lyrics way differently. How, in what way? Well, like, he's really taught me that, you know, who you spend your time with and how you spend your time is everything. And again, like what I was saying before, if you find yourself in a, you know, doing a theater show or doing, if you're talking yourself into doing something, but it's really not, you know, resonating on the deepest level it's going to cost you
0: yeah i think that's really true and it's something that i was thinking about when the last time you and i hung out was at the long island um music hall of fame mm-hmm. because you were inducted into the long island music yes, hall and of you fame inducted me. and you asked me to make the uh speech inducting mm-hmm. you which was a great honor and i loved doing it even though that is the longest night I've ever been a part of in my life. Oh, my life.
1: God. Could they have put me any later in the program?
0: I mean, you... I think we went on stage at 1 in the morning I know, or something. Was and I was shooting. I think I was shooting, right? I was you shooting are, my you show. Had a, you had a
1: bolt out of there. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah,
0: no. I, w- I spent the day shooting, I think, and then drove out and did that uh. because I love you. But uh, I remember, because as I was thinking about your career as I was writing the speech, and I was thinking about who you were and who you are, and, and there's always been uh, something... It strikes me that there was something unfair about, and you're articulating a little bit for me about how how it it happened. But I remember when we were making this album together, and what happened was I when I went to England, and we you played me this group of songs, and I remember you saying, "I want to be called Deborah, not Debbie." And I remember thinking there was this disconnect and it was the only time like there you're this this idea of like kind of fixing whatever you thought your image was somehow like and yet these songs were great and uh and i remember thinking it was just unfair that for whatever reason people didn't know that all the stu- stuff that you had really done like that you'd sold 16 million albums but not because some svengalis
1: Right. I mean, right. I mean, there, there's, you know, I, I've had film companies interested in my story because I think my story is, first of all, so much about my mother.
0: Yeah, in what um,
1: way? In the way that we pounded the pavement in the most old school way. But like, okay, Madonna pa- pounded the pavement and she went to dance at but she was old enough to get into clubs. I wasn't. And so when I think about my mom having... The cojones to take me at 16. I joke that she still had like the permed hair with the with the roots showing like fresh out of the kitchen with the rolling pin. Um, and it would be me, my two gay backup dancers, one of whom still dances we- with me to this day, buddy. And and um
0: does he have a walker now
1: no in fact we did How a show he... last weekend. and he could stand on a dime and do a backflip still good and you know what i insist that anyone who works with me does not let themselves get old
0: oh good do you know Great. What I mean? that's the policy you can't get old
1: no you can't um first Wait. of all i'm still singing electric youth so you need to rock that good. feeling and spirit forever um and I always like, I, I remember having this talk with him at, at some point where he was like, you know, I feel a little out of shape. I go, look, I don't need you to look 20, but I need you to be your best 45 you can be. So that no one looks and goes, oh, why does she have Yeah, you don't want it to be sad. Washed up. got sure. You know, and I take care of myself and I you don't do, want to, yeah. you know, I, I, you still kind of have to be competitive. and
0: Do you still love singing those songs? Like you oh said, you're gosh. still singing Electric Youth. Do you still do love you singing know, those songs? Do you want to know? This is a
1: great question. I have to relearn how to sing my own songs constantly because when I went every time I'm telling secrets, it was like, huh, huh. it was like a diaphragmatic workout. When you get older, Ooh, you want to sing a little more flowy. I mean, there's just a, your, your voice changes. It gets richer. It gets deeper. Those high notes are not. I used to sing everything with a smile and pitched up and pitched yeah. forward and, I remember my sister Michelle just saying, Why do you have to keep singing so high? It's so annoying and obnoxious. Um, before,
0: before they were hits? Oh, yeah. yeah. She just,
1: just hated it. And again, now I realize the beauty in oh, singing something really low and rich. It's like not a competition in who can sing the highest and the jumpiest. And those songs are very high and jumpy. So I have to, I literally, people would never think this, but I go to my voice teacher still especially when I'm in New York. Madonna goes to her. Hugh Jackman goes to her. All these amazing people go to her. And I'll bring in my old hits that you would think I could sing in my sleep, but I don't sing like I did when I was 16. I'm not the same person. So I re-figure out the technique of... I, I break them down again so that I can figure out how to deliver them now. So
0: what do you love doing now in the singing, writing, per- That's another performing. great question. I
1: mean, I still do love going to do... like. I brought up this show before because it was magical. Like, I, you know, I've played for 150,000 people in Rock and Rio, which was amazing. But then at last weekend, I played for 250 people who paid $10,000 a table to support this girl's charity. I visited with the girls themselves one day. They had me jumping through hoops. <laughs> I wrote to my boyfriend, I said, just left the girls, they devoured me and the feathers are still flying. (laughs) It was amazing. It was amazing. We taught them the dances. We taught them harmony um, and got tons of hugs. And then the next night I did this show and my focus on how I'm going to deliver any show, whether it's for 250,000 people or 250 people is the same. And I just wanted it to be extra special and it was so magical I'm still on a high from it a week later and so I love performing and and there were audience members that were you know what I call children of the 80s and then there were like 80 year old really rich men and women you know in their wheelchairs and I went and sat on their laps and sang to them and flirted with them and had a ball and I just feel like we all experienced something really magical so I just really I performing live I still love um The new songs that I've been writing lately are, I think, things that no one will expect from me. And it's funny because I I, there's been this like 10 year chapter, like things that I feel like I'm about to do. I thought I would have done like 10 years ago. But for whatever reason, that's what I was saying. You look back on your life. These last 10 years have been more about me getting to know me.
0: Right. Finally, like sort of. Obviously, you become a star at sixteen. It sends you on a course that doesn't allow for a lot of introspection,
1: right? And you can either just keep the machine rolling. Look, J Lo's kept it rolling, and Madonna's kept it rolling. I wonder how exhausted they are, how well they know themselves, how scared they are to get off that hamster wheel. Because,
0: but when you first got off that hamster wheel, it must have been bumpy. And like when it first fell apart, and you weren't, you know, you were. I mean, you've always been famous, but when you weren't selling records and the gigs weren't selling out, and it must have been like uh, well, I mean, yes, you did transition to being a broad. Like it is true, you were a Broadway star.
1: Here, yeah, see, here's what happened for me. I I took myself out of my own comfort zone at 32. I did cabaret. It was a big success. It was you know sold out. It was Neil Patrick Harris, and then I got a show called American Juniors, which was American Idol for really young people. And me and Gladys Knight were the judges, and Ryan hosted it. And it was a big flop because you can't critique 10 year olds on television. It's very uncomfortable. And um, they were wanting it to have the edge of Idol that it had at the time, and it couldn't, and it was a big mess. And so (laughs) um, I did that, and I was in L.A., and I literally felt so uncomfortable. And I was like, L.A. is so not New York. And I know that I could be in New York and keep doing theater forever and be great at it. And I go, I wonder what L.A. has to offer me right now. I'm so kind of like blowing in the wind here. I need to stay. And so I stayed and I started acting classes and I did some theater productions out there. I did The King and I and I did company and, you know, to get to keep my theater thing going. Then I just started to realize, like, that wasn't so important to me anymore to be the girl who's always working. Like, Uh, that's what I prided myself on forever.
0: Right. I've kept this thing going.
1: I've kept it going. What are you doing now? What are you doing next? I always had an answer to that question. And then I was like. I don't need an answer to that question. It's okay to just be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I was I'm reading this book. just being by, me and seeing what comes I next. I think a guy
0: named Tom Rash, who wrote a book, uh, I'll get the name of it, it'll be in the show notes, but he a great thing he says in the book is that um, people in our culture take pride in talking about how busy they are.
1: Right, and you could be busy doing schlock and, and it doesn't matter. And he
0: said, <laughs> uh, yeah, and he says, he's learned that when he is busy, that the much better way to answer the question is to say, um, I realize I'm, I've been very bad at managing my time because you shouldn't be proud of how much work you have to do. No, um, you should just be throwing yourselves into things that give you you back something and that you love. And
1: a lot of times there's just a long gestation period. Like for me, this writing that's been going on for maybe five or six years, the stuff is so special. Yeah, Why
0: is it going to be surprising?
1: Um, because I was never a lyricist, really. I mean, I was okay, um, but I took a lot of times. I took the first rhyme that came, and again, I prided myself on like this is like my diary entry. I
0: think the lyric you wrote about me that I was <laughs> much too fancy <laughs> for you.
1: Don't want the courtside seats. I want my nose to bleed.
0: I mean, it's so unfair because you so wanted to be sitting in the front row me. with me. That oh night. my god, that is so that is not so true. funny.
1: But no, it's you know the. It's if something can be better in a song that that I'm doing, I wait for it to be better now. Um, I'm not in a rush. Again, I used to pride myself in I wrote a hundred songs this week. They were all mediocre, but I wrote a hundred. Now I'm like, I wrote one amazing song this month and oh my God, wait till you hear it. And and when I when I sit down to play it, I'm I'm like hearing myself sing these lyrics and I go, I can't believe these lyrics are in my song. I can't believe this song feels like this. Um, As an
0: artist, that must be just such a wonderful feeling to to own it in that way. I mean, that's why I was getting at when I was asking you what it felt like when you wrote those early songs. Are you starting to
1: get those feelings again? I am, I am. And I'll give you a really cool example of something. I was doing a lot of, like, teaching camp workshops with kids and stuff. And this little girl kept coming in and she was just, like, she was so talented but she wasn't giving it her all so I said why do you come in with this half finished song when I told you to finish it I said I'm sorry I'm being so hard on you and she went no I actually love it when you're hard on me so I went home and wrote in a kind of Britney style love it when you're hard when you're hard on me about three years later and I okay I can see this is where it's visceral for me I can feel my heart beating. My boyfriend was being hard on me, because he's he's a tough little booger. (laughs) And I sat at the piano, and I took it down, and it was, Love is hard, hard on me. Not what I want, but what I need. I can't even sing. I'm so shaky to sing right now. God, it cuts. Will it bleed? Can I take this love so hard on me? And it goes on from there. Oh, that's gorgeous! Da, 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 that's a real standard. And that's the word for visceral. Like my own song, it's I, they really reflect what's going on, and they're really candid. And how are you going
0: to get them out into the world?
1: That's a great question. So, so then, what's happened in the last few years, which we don't have to harp on. On, I've been dealing with some health issues. And in dealing with health issues, Lyme disease. No, I know because uh, um, Tim
0: Ferriss was on a few weeks ago and uh, who's uh, really somebody who t- studies the human body and his life's work is to turn help people turn themselves into like really high, highest performing mm-hmm. versions of themselves. And he was just really knocked out by Lyme disease. So, I mean, I was talking to you and yeah. through it and I'm
1: it's so just, glad
0: you're doing better and yeah. that you've come through it. And I'm, and I'm going to hook you and Tim up. So that would
1: be amazing. So it kind of takes over your life. So my life in the last, couple of years has become about keep the perf- live performance commitments I have without try- without hurting my health further. And you're, you're always kind of like gearing up for something or recovering from something, and it doesn't leave really any free time to say, hey, I'm going to go to the studio today. So I'm finally at that point where I, I see those chapters coming. Um, because, again, this music is not, I can go into the studio and do the love it when you're hard, when you're hard on me any day of the week i can stack the vocals i can deliver it submit it to people do it myself whatever but to go in and deliver that right. other version yeah. you've got to be in a certain space um, and again well, why don't i don't you realized
0: just uh, put build a studio at your i mean there's i will i'm going to com- I, mean, I mean it's not it's a not hard, hard thing now. to do now
1: no it's not um, but here's what's so funny as much as and i and i will do that but as and as much as i loved doing it all myself back then Technology in a way now is such that like when I work with someone that's really fast on Pro Tools and that I have like the psychic communication with, then I could not think about the technical at all and I can just say, oh, go back a bar. I have this idea. Oh, good, good. And I can just be the artist, arranger, producer. I don't have to be the engineer. Are you
0: doing, though, at home, like, real, full, like, piano vocal demos of all the songs?
1: No, I mean, I just I just kind of, like, do them on my iPhone. And I go, like, in Vegas, I work with a guy named Joey Finger. Joey Finger, who works with Donnie and Marie, plays the drums with them and works on a lot of their music and... You know, so I'll run over to his place and, and lay some, some stuff down. Um, for
0: like the slow song, for like the torch song yeah, standard songs? No, I know. If you got a great mic at I home know. and a click track, just record the-
1: Again, oh, I know. And I've got, see, I've got this like vintage Neumann mic sitting in my bedroom yeah. that needs a new power supply built, which I'm getting to. Like my life is taking, it's like, I again, I used to be the girl that packed 18 things in a day. Sure. And then suddenly I had to slow down and- it's been really strange and humbling and I've gone, you know what? I'm not in a rush anymore because at this point, honestly, like, okay, I was like the youngest person to do a million things. Maybe I'll be the oldest person to do a million things. Uh, you know, it just doesn't matter. Um, Does it not like matter to you
0: to get people to hear this? Cause I want you no, talking no, no, about no. it here. It seems like you want people to
1: hear and this music. I do. And they're gonna, it's happening any minute. Um, and I really, really do want it to happen. But it's funny because again, I go, all right, am I driving the mic to L.A. today or am I resting today because I need to rest? Like, there's just been my priorities. Well, yeah, but I wondered been... about it
0: when I saw you uh, at, at the garden a couple of years ago. You came to the garden and you did like a...
1: Oh, yeah, in, that, that Knicks m- thing. In the
0: Knicks thing. But but I did think, like, uh, it's fun. You could do like a 10-minute thing at the garden, but I, like... W- I couldn't like. Why are you doing it? Because you, know. instead of like writing right. your songs, and I want well, well, wonder if it's still there's some part of you that feels like if there's an opportunity, you got to jump on it. It's even so as funny. you're saying, you but don't feel that way. That's exactly
1: where I am now, as opposed to where I was. Like that was like two years ago. Yeah, and that was a girl who was like, "Oh my god, New York and the Knicks and uh, and uh, and the costumes and the lights and the uh, and again now." I look at things with my manager and go, is this worth the time? Is this worth Yeah, the- because I remember
0: walking back and thinking like, if Deb doesn't understand her own value, then the audience is never going to understand it.
1: I know. And that's, A- again, and it's I funny. I, I didn't grew- get it. I was no, with my I son
0: and uh, we looked at each other. I was like, you know, I we were there to, you know, you had um, texted that you were going to be there. So yep. we came and uh, watched you do your thing and I had said, you know... Uh,
1: it's how funny, talented
0: and special this woman is you came out you were great but again but like, it wasn't
1: my thing quote, well no unquote. suddenly and, you're up there and, singing right.
0: someone else's songs i know i'm for with you three minutes and a nick game. i'm
1: with you uh, I and i was so like you. that
0: is not who she is and
1: again that was the girl that you don't
0: value it n- they can't no, value it. no i know it.
1: that was the girl who for some reason that month needed applause and a costume like that's it um, but here's the really funny thing. Do you know, after I did that, I got all, I, I got all the Knicks entertainment executives on the phone and I said, listen, let me tell you what was awful about that and what didn't did? work. Yes. So that if you ever do this with anyone again or with me again, you know, you can't do Broadway for like, why do a Broadway glo- like at a, because I had done something for the Detroit Pistons not too long ago. They had me do like a halftime show at their basketball game and I did a medley of my hits and it rocked. And they did fun. 80s night. I had fun. It was me and my element. And those fans want to see something sexy, not theatrical sexy. They don't want to see like gay boys in top hats at a basketball game. They don't want to see it, I, you know, or whatever. And I, I don't even—I don't remember if there were gay boys in top hats, but that was the feeling of the number. The fact that I'm calling it a number <laughs> kind yeah, of stuff at right. all. So I'm with you. Like I walked out and I literally had this moment of like, what am I doing here? I had the same moment you had. And again, no, I know. I remember giving funny. you a hug afterwards, like a, and I was just I like, I was kind of like, what was that? Yeah. I know. I felt it too. But again, that's where now I'm like at a point where I'm like, I don't, I, and this is what my boyfriend has been amazing at because he says all the things you're saying. Like, he's just like, be patient because you're creating great things. And again, he's, I'm more proactive than he is. So I get to a point where I'm like, yeah, 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 but no one's going to hear it in the living room. So I have to get it out. Um,
0: but in a way, like uh, what's enlightening about to me about this whole thing is and I do think that that's something like going and doing you know, six minutes at the in, in the middle of a quarter at a Nick game is endemic of it is like your part of you really knows you're an artist and then some part of you is still like some part of me has something it.
1: to prove all the time or like I said, like wants to be visible for a moment to remind people I'm still here. But then again, how good is it to remind people you're here if you're not totally being you?
0: Yeah, if you're not being the thing uh, that you right, are. And that right. was what was so, you know, um, through the years. Because
1: they could have gotten any theater girl on Broadway to do that same number. And
0: I mean, I do feel like I've been saying this to you since 1992 or 93 because uh, the when you made that album, mm-hmm. Think With Your Heart, I, I remember, and, and over the years since then, you've said, you've made a point always to say how much you love that record and mm-hmm. the freedom to go make whatever you, you wanted. Yeah. It like you would take steps in that direction and then somehow take steps...
1: Yeah, there's total fear. Again, you know, I have this conversation in my house all the time and I realized that I think, first of all, because I was so running my own show yeah. from age 16 to 21 when most girls are just figuring it. I mean, I have nieces that are 20 and 22 and I think everything they do is the most adorable, greatest thing in the world. I think they're just so little and cute and they're amazing. Yeah. I had already had the like the biggest chapter of my whole career by that point and I think I just was like you know, I just want to, like, go be one of the gang in theater. You can kind of hide out, even though you're the headliner. You have an understudy. You don't have an understudy for Debbie Gibson when you're doing a Debbie Gibson concert. Right. But you go do the Joseph tour on the road. You know what? I got to go to the Cheesecake Factory with the Osmond boys. Oh, I, got I understand
0: to... that completely. And so
1: I think that for so long, I mean, and I the Cheesecake
0: Factory, that's something you don't want to miss. You
1: don't want to—not with the Osmond boys. Right. There, I toured with seven of, of the eight of Alan's youngest— of his kids, and they were amazing. And and again, it was the first time I was like, I'm one of the gang. I'm not employing uh-huh. everybody here. It's not all on me. But again, did I need to be on the road for nine months? Like, what else could I have done with that nine, nine months? Probably something really great. Or I right. could have rested up for doing something great, and that's what I'm learning now.
0: Good. Yeah. There's so much more we could have talked about, and uh, you're right that the story about you and your mom uh, getting you your first record deal is... Uh, a story that everybody should know you've written about it though haven't you
1: not in the way i could write about it now why um i mean i feel like now i you know i wrote like the i wrote some some autobiography at like 18 or 20 um you know are you
0: gonna do like a real memoir now
1: i yes and i yeah i think there's a memoir and i think there's a movie because the club scene in the 80s i mean we had like armed men walking us into clubs in East LA and there were metal detectors and I was 16 and I'd get up and go no 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 only in my dreams acapella to get everyone's attention and like one club the DJ put the backing track tape on backwards because he wanted to mess with me and I sang my whole show over it I mean like over the over the recording. backwards Perfect. recording and my sister was in the Perfect. DJ booth and he wouldn't let her touch the tape and you know then I played a church in east la and now we had boys with guns walking us in and we said why are there guns it's a church oh we've had too many shootings here and this is the last, final concert my jewelry got taken off my hands when i was in the crowd i mean we well, you have gotta stories, write the book for sure my mom collecting the cash in the basements of the clubs oh my god i mean god, honestly you could crazy. just take the
0: howard stern interviews about you dating when you were young <laughs> and how all that stuff and i think that's also uh would be but um i'm so glad that you're feeling better thank you what, the song you were singing at the beginning of this, we were talking before the mics were on, I think, about the fact that uh, maybe you'll go, you know, you have country hooks that you want to write because you should go down yeah. Nashville, right? And go oh write my with God, people. oh God, I totally should. They should sing your songs. And you shouldn't think of yourself as some girl who's a mediocre singer, but as like a great songwriter who's written I many always, hit songs. I, I
1: do feel like, I, I feel like a songwriter musician first and foremost, and then comes entertainer and then comes singer. You know, um, but yeah, I've definitely got uh, I would love to get in those rooms. You know, it's funny. I had like um, a publisher, major publishing company a couple of years ago. I play them a bunch of stuff and they were basically like, OK, are you willing to give up everything and just be on call to come do writing sessions here? But just know. And this is what the head of the company said to me. He said, just no. it does not happen anymore like it happened for you. You don't have one person writing their song anymore. You don't have one person writing any song anymore. Hardly. You have eight guys in a room, and the guy that goes "uh, uh" is now a writer on the song, and the guy that goes "yeah" is now a writer. Yeah, but that's
0: not true in and Nashville.
1: No, it's not in Nashville, but it is in pop. Yeah,
0: sure. There's a and top line person the they call line, them all that stuff. And, yes. Yeah.
1: So he was like, and and again, the little voice in my head went, "You know, I just can't do that because it's so not authentic." Off- but not in Nashville, honest. people, you would, if you, you made, have you considered writers.
0: making like the really like going? I'm gonna go down there. Uh, a couple times a year and write for a week at a time. I literally and then...
1: just said to my manager, like, you know, what's late June looking like? I'd love to go to Nashville. Liter- literally just said it. So... Yeah, I've never
0: talked about this, but one of the great risks... I always tell people to take creative risks, and, like, one of the risks I took is... uh a few years ago, I started doing, like I started writing songs and I love country music and I went down and I did a couple songwriting awesome. uh, trips and it was an amazing experience to walk mm-hmm. in a room and have to come up with those lyrics kind of and have a hookbook and do that whole thing but you would kill it because these I would things love pour it. out of you. I
1: remember doing a writing trip there when I was like 24, I think it was and there was a, A song i wrote with a woman named joy sweeney and it was i never took to a taken man the witness stand ain't in my plan got a ring on his finger he's wearing her brand that's why i never took to a taken man i never took to a taken man
0: and that's great did you go try to get it covered
1: At the time, we did. And all those Nashville publishers shopped him around. But I think those songs would have a life now. That's a Carrie Underwood. That's a, I mean.
0: Is it still true that you never took to a taken man?
1: You had to ask me that, didn't you?
0: Oh, no, it's not true. Innocent, what happened to Innocent Debbie Gibson? I
1: know. Uh, Don't ask. Don't ask.
0: Disaster. We're ending on a disastrous note. But here's the
1: funny thing. Okay, I've taken to a taken man, but I've never in my whole life cheated.
0: Well, that says something powerful.
1: But I still wouldn't, now I would never take to a taken man either. Good, you
0: got all the women back just now. (laughs) You lost them and you got them back. It's interesting,
1: I'll just say that on a serious note for a second. Um, Yeah, again, it's justification. It's like, well, it's not my job to protect somebody's relationship or somebody. Yeah, you know what it kind of is. It is. It is, so, yeah. What can I say?
0: Well, it's all stuff that leads to... uh, good songs,
1: good songs. <laughs> it does. Exactly. They,
0: people can find you online at, uh, at Debbie Gibson or Deborah Gibson on Twitter Debbie Gibson at, at Debbie, Debbie, Debbie Gibson, Gibson on, on Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm.
1: um, I just got Periscope downloaded and I haven't used it yet and my publicist Elizabeth Neff who you met at the Hall of Fame said to tell you she loves your Periscope stuff
0: oh we're gonna do one right now for two seconds okay. when we're done yeah, we can do, do a Periscope thank you for listening everybody um I know this wasn't like a typical um, episode of the moment because I I have known uh, and loved Deb for like uh, 30 years or something like Uh. that. So, wait, I'm 49. I met you when I was... uh, Yeah, it was about
1: 27 years. 27, yeah, something like that. A long time. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time. uh, 28 years. I'm so
0: happy that you're doing well.
1: Thank you. You too. uh, You're not doing too shabby yourself.
0: I can't wait to hear all the new songs. Um, I am uh, at Brian Compliment on Twitter. And... um, you can email me, themomentbk at gmail.com. Don't send me any country lyrics um, <laughs> because I won't know what to do with it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you, you, guys. Bye.